Tonight's scripture will be from John 13, verses 1 through 5. John 13, verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he has girded. Thank you, Dusty. We appreciate that reading. I said to Dusty a little while earlier that he had two lengthy readings today. And before we came out, I said, well, why don't you go ahead and just say a word or two to everybody since you've gotten up and and read such lengthy passages of scripture. But we're proud of Dusty and all of our young people, and I appreciate him reading these verses for us. We're glad that you're here. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're very thankful for the number of people that come our way from week to week. It's our prayer that the time that we do spend together, that it will be profitable, and that you will leave here wanting to come back and be with us once again. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13 together in our study tonight. And I want us to spend some time and talk about what it means to be a servant. And really the thrust of what we'll be talking about tonight is underscored in the words learning to be a servant. And I really believe that servanthood is something that we must learn. And there are some things that we have to develop in order to be the kind of servant with whom the Lord would be pleased. And so we look at John chapter 13 tonight, and I would begin by saying you need to remember that Jesus here is coming to the end of his physical sojourn here upon earth. It is Thursday evening, and death is imminent. And before he celebrates the Passover feast, he uses this occasion to teach his disciples a tremendous lesson about service. And I think linked to this idea of servanthood is the importance of humility. And again, we talk about some things that the disciples of Christ needed to learn. One was servanthood, another was humility. And so Jesus used this occasion to teach these 12 men about service in the kingdom to come. And so first of all, I want you to note with me the profile of a servant. As we think about the profile of a servant, we are talking primarily here about the Messiah. Jesus is the one who demonstrates humility and servanthood before his disciples. And as we contemplate this point, there are two things that I want to share with you as we look at verses 1 through 3. First of all, think with me, if you would, about Jesus and his sacrifice of heaven. 
In verses one through three, John said, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now look at verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going to God. We talk about his sacrifice of heaven. And really we're, we're talking here about his pre-incarnate state. I'm not sure that we as members of the human family can fully fathom the greatness of Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, the fact that Jesus existed before he was born into this world. We talk about the word, the logos. And John uses that term in John chapter one, verses one through three. But have you ever thought about the great sacrifice that Jesus made to come to earth? In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter eight at verse nine, Paul said, you have heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. We talk about the riches of heaven, the association that Jesus had with God the Father, Throughout all of time, Jesus just, well, Jesus like God the Father and the Holy Spirit has no beginning and no ending. We can't fathom that, but it is a fact. And we're talking about Jesus literally emptying himself, leaving the, the beauties and the glories of heaven and coming to earth. One of the greatest passages that I know that underscores this, this thought is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 where Paul said, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. Jesus, as you well know, is God. And Jesus left the beauties and the glories of heaven, and we talk about all of the things that he gave up to come to this earth. Well, Jesus is now saying that he came forth from God, he's going back to be with God. And we know that following his death, burial, resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Today he is seated at the Father's right hand. Angels, authorities, and principalities being made subject unto him. But then we also think about his sacrifice for heaven. We read not just of his sacrifice of heaven, but his sacrifice for heaven. And this has to do with the idea that Jesus willingly came to this earth. He was willing to execute the, the Father's plan. That is, he was willing to be the agent by which the world would be redeemed. And so go back again and look at verse 1. In verse 1, Jesus said, Now before the feast of the John said, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end, and the supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. He's talking now about his death. Jesus came to this earth for the purpose of securing salvation for the human family. The angel of God that announced to Joseph the birth of Jesus said with regard to Mary the virgin, he said, she shall bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Jesus had a mission to fulfill. That mission was to come to this earth, to live among men, and to die for 
the sins of the world. Now, go back and look at chapter 12 for a moment. In chapter 12, verse 27, we have Jesus pouring out his heart before God the Father. Listen to him in verse 27. He said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then he goes on to say, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his death. He's emphasizing the fact that he understands he is now face to face with death on Golgotha. He's going to the cross on behalf of the human family. Now drop down and look at verse 31. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. And then verse 32, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. What you have to understand is that Jesus came to earth with a heaven sent mission. We talk about his sacrifice of heaven, his willingness to leave heaven, and then his sacrifice for heaven. And the idea is he willingly complied with the Father's will to leave heaven, to come to earth, and to die for our sins. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My work is to do the will of him who sent me, to finish his work. In John 6, verse 38, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus came in compliance with the will of Almighty God. Listen to him in Luke 19, verse 10. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus came to save lost people. Now, having looked at verses one through three, note if you would now the practice of a servant. And this really has to do with his method. One of the great things about Jesus is that not only did he teach people great lessons, but he demonstrated lessons. We, we talk about Jesus being the master teacher. And there were any number of ways that Jesus taught people. And one of the ways that he taught people from time to time was by what we would call object lessons. And this is an object lesson. Jesus is gonna use this occasion to teach his disciples the importance of humility and servanthood. And so having said that, look at verse four. In verse four, we find Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Now there are a lot of things that we could say about these verses. And let me just make a couple of remarks and then we'll, we'll note the primary point. Here, here were the disciples. They are assembled in this upper room and they've come together. And typically, if, if you look back at ancient times, you'll see that those people who lived in, for example, the first century, they wore sandals. 
And when they would enter into someone's home or into a place such as this, it was customary for maybe the host or someone to, to wash the feet of those who were guests. Well, they did this prior to the supper. But that wasn't what happened here. No one took the lead in this menial task. No one took the initiative to wash the other's feet. And so Jesus rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Now, those who lived in the first century, they, they didn't have paved roads like we have. And so their feet were dirty and dusty. And Jesus uses this occasion to teach them a great lesson. You have to understand that one of the problems that existed among the disciples of Jesus was this idea of jockeying for position in the kingdom. Back in Mark chapter 10, we read of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. You remember they came to Jesus on one occasion. And they said, Master, grant that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, when you come in your kingdom. What did they want? They wanted a position. And, and really, one of, the, one of the things that they failed to understand was the foundation, one of the foundational truths upon which those who would become followers of the Lord needed internally was humility. They're looking for a position. They're looking for a place of honor. And so here they come to, to this very special occasion. No one is going, no one is going to, to take upon himself this menial task of washing the other's feet. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he simply begins washing their feet. And I think that there are some things that we would do well to consider in this context as we talk about learning to be a servant. Number one, Jesus taught the disciples by his actions. You remember one of the things that Jesus chided the scribes and the Pharisees for in Matthew chapter 23 when he delivered a series of woes to, toward those religious people? He said, whatever they bid you to do, that do. But he said, they say and do not. Their problem was follow through. They, had, they would talk a good game, but they didn't, they didn't back up what, what they said, what they, what they preached, what they taught. Well, Jesus practiced what he preached. And he demonstrated servanthood and humility by his actions. And there's some things that I think we would do well to consider in this context. Number one, Jesus wasn't above serving despite his position. Now just think here for a moment. Who are we talking about? We're, we're not talking about a mere mortal. We're talking about the very son of the living God. Back in John chapter 1, John said, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God incarnate. In John 1 verse 14, John said, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You remember in John chapter 6, when Jesus had fed multitudes of people with five barley loaves and some fish, the Bible tells us that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The Lord asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
That's who we're talking about here. This is the Son of God. And what's Jesus doing? He's serving. When we come into the body of Christ, those of us who belong to the church, I understand that from time to time we hold varying positions in the community, in, in our places of, of, of employment, etc. And, and for the most part, all of us to some extent have an ego. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, we need to check our ego at the door. When we talk about position, we're a servant. Look at Jesus. Here is the son of God, and he is willing to wash the disciples' feet. This menial task. A second thing that I think we see in this, in this text is that Jesus was not above serving despite his power. You ever thought about the power that Jesus had? Not only in his pre-incarnate state, but in his incarnate state. Let me give you some examples. Back in John chapter 1, in verse 3, John said, speaking of Christ, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. We're talking about the very creator of the human family. Here is the creator, the son of God, the agent by which the world was made. What's he doing? He is stooping to this menial position of service before the disciples. Here is the creator, and he is bowing before them, in a sense, and washing their feet. That ought to say something to us. When I think about his power, I'm reminded of what Matthew records over in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus stilled the waves and the sea. And the Bible says the disciples marveled. They questioned what manner of man is this that even the waves, the wind, and the sea obey him. That's the kind of power he had. Before he was put to death, you recall... In Matthew chapter 27, or chapter 26, you remember Jesus saying that he could call 12 legions of angels to come to his assistance? A legion, a Roman legion in the Roman army would have consisted, we're, we're talking about some five to 6,000 soldiers, 12 legions of angels. So Jesus is saying he could call some 60 to 72,000 angels to his rescue if need be. But that wasn't, his, that wasn't the course that he chose to pursue. Why? Because he was willing to submit himself to the Father, to execute his plan. So here's the Son of God. He's willing to serve despite his position, his power, and then what about his popularity? You know, sometimes individuals become popular, they become famous, they have what we call a little bit of prestige and it goes to their head, doesn't it? Sometimes individuals think they are too good to do certain things. What about Jesus? You remember during the, the earthly life of Jesus, some of the things that were said about him? Let me give you a couple of examples. Back in chapter 12, we read about the Grecians who came to Philip. And no doubt they had heard a lot about the Son of God. And you know what they, you know what they said? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, there are people in our world today, 
that are athletic stars, they're movie stars, they're television stars, and they have the paparazzi constantly hounding them and after them. They're popular. And sometimes that popularity goes to their head. Wherever they go, people are trying to get to them. Well, here were people, they knew about Jesus, and what did they want? They wanted to get, they wanted to get, well, get in front of him. They said, we want to see Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 46, it was said of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. Now, let me tell you what. When you have the kind of reputation that Jesus had, the miracles that he performed, and we're looking at the book of John, and there are some seven signs or miracles that Jesus performed that are recorded in this book. John said many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of the great signs that Jesus did authenticated his claims of deity. So word, no doubt, got out. And then we, we talk about Jesus and the great lessons that he taught, the great things that he said. As Peter said, Lord, you have the words of life eternal. We're talking about somebody very special here. And yet, despite his popularity, despite his fame, he was not too good to serve these people. And sometimes, sometimes individuals get the big head. And they, they have the idea they're too good to engage in certain tasks. That wasn't the case with Jesus. And then, fourthly, despite who he was, Jesus demonstrated a heart of servanthood in light of all of his possessions. We, we talk about his position, his power, his popularity. And his possessions. You remember what Paul said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9? You have heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus literally emptied himself and came to this earth. The Bible says he took upon himself the role of a servant. What about this world? Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Who owns the earth? The Lord does. So here is the creator, the son of God. What's he doing? He's teaching this great example before these people. He's teaching them to be humble, to be submissive, and to be servants. Now, thirdly, let's talk about the pattern of a servant, and now we're talking about the model. I believe that Jesus demonstrated the heart of a servant, not just here, but throughout his earthly life. The earthly ministry of Jesus consisted of some three plus years. In some three years, Jesus accomplished more than anyone has ever accomplished in this life. But there are two things I want you to consider with me along these lines. First of all, I would suggest that Jesus is our example in service. Look at verse 12. So when, he, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, let me just... 
make a couple of observations here. First of all, Jesus did this, he performed this act to demonstrate humility and servanthood. Jesus was not instituting what some people have called the rite of foot, foot washing. That, that wasn't the purpose of, of this act of service. What Jesus was trying to do was to get his disciples to understand that in order for them to be what they ought to be, they were going to have to learn to serve. When you look at the church in the first century, why do you think the church grew by leaps and bounds? The reason it grew was because these men, they got the message. They came to understand that they were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Jesus demonstrated a heart of servanthood. And as our Lord and teacher, we are to, to follow in his footsteps. But I want you to think with me not just about this great example in service, but our exhortation. To service. You see, I think what Jesus was saying to these disciples, these apostles, is you're going to have to learn to be a servant. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Read the New Testament. And note, if you would, the emphasis that is placed by the inspired writers on the fact that they were servants. They were bond servants. They chose to be servants or slaves of Jesus Christ. He was their master. He was their Lord. So with that in mind, look now at verse 16. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So Jesus here is basically saying, look, you want to be great? You, you want to be a follower of mine? You want to be what you ought to be in the kingdom of God? Here's what you need to learn. Humility and service. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit are those who are humble. In, in Mark chapter 10, when the disciples of Jesus, James and John, came before him and said, Grant that we may sit one on your right hand, the other on the left, Jesus, Jesus said to them that the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God is service. He said, Whoever shall be great among you shall be what? He said, You'll be a servant. Well, that's the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Now, what's the lesson for us? What about those of us who belong to the body of Christ? Is it not the case that we are to be servants? Well, the answer is yes. Let me just share with you a couple of thoughts along these lines. I took the liberty this week of getting one of our information sheets. And those who are, well, those of you that are members here, you know that you have probably, well, you probably have filled one out. And you put your personal information on the front side and on the back side, you list the activities that you're willing to be involved in. And I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But the, the bottom line is this. We want people to be members here. We want people to worship here. But what we need are servants. 
We need people who view themselves as servants. Nowhere in the New Testament do you read about professional worshipers. I think sometimes people have the idea that if they come to, to the services of the church, then they fulfill their duties. That's not the case. Now, let, let me use this example. In the realm of coaching, sometimes coaches, and maybe this is a poor analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. Sometimes coaches, they'll, they will have, they will have a, a team. And whether it's in basketball, football, whatever the case may be, some of the athletes on their team, maybe they're not gifted, physically speaking, athletically. Maybe they, don't, maybe they don't have the ability to run very fast. Maybe they don't have the ability to, to throw a ball like he would like. Maybe they're not as strong as he would like. Maybe they don't work together as a team. And so what, what he does is he takes these people, he begins to work with them and, and train them, and he literally coaches them up to where they play above their heads. I think a good example of that is the Memphis Grizzlies. Here, here is a team that, that finally learned how to play as a team. And in my mind, to some extent, they were coached up. The, the, the players began to play better. They played together. And as a result of that, they did great things this year. In the church, we have, we have members that need to be, for lack of a better way to say it, coached up. Now, I understand sometimes my role is to try to be a motivator, a catalyst, and I, I try to do that with the scriptures. The bottom line is this. We have to take people where they are and try to coach them up with the word of God. We've got to get them up to a level of servanthood. Now, I don't know how many people are here tonight, and we had a good number here this morning, but there are a lot of people that aren't back tonight. And you may say, well, you need to be preaching this lesson to those people. Well, that's true. But one of the reasons that I'm preaching this lesson tonight is because you are what I call the core group. And I believe that we have the responsibility as the core group to coach up those who are not what they ought to be. What I want to encourage you to do, find somebody that's here on Sunday morning and not back on Sunday night, not back on Wednesday night, not here for Bible study, and you stick with them like glue. You find them. Find one person. Find somebody you know that's not here, and I mean you stay on them. Stick with them like glue. Call them. I called a family this past week. Hadn't seen them in a couple. I called them to try to stir them up, to, to try to stay behind them. And, and let me tell you what, they need a lot more of that. Well, the bottom line is the work of the church is an ongoing work. It's not a one and done type deal. There are things that constantly need to be done. Let me just list for you some of the things that have to be done on a weekly basis right here at Olive Branch Church of Christ. We talk about worship. We have to have every week somebody to lead opening prayer, somebody to lead closing prayer, and that's a.m., p.m., somebody to preside at the communion, assist with communion, read scripture, make announcements, etc. Now, I'm talking to the men of the congregation, and let me say this. 
If you are assigned a duty and you have the assignment to, to lead prayer Sunday morning, Sunday night, be here. Be here. And if you can't be here, let somebody know. You know, we talk about being team players. Everyone has a load. All of us have responsibilities. I understand that sometimes things come up and we have, we, we're unable to be here. But sometimes the bottom line is we drop the ball, we do not fulfill our responsibility. Let's just be honest about it. We do not fulfill our responsibility. The teaching program, we had a teacher's meeting this morning. We need people to teach classes. We need people to assist teachers. We need substitute teachers. We have a VBS that's upcoming. And let me tell you what, it's wide open. Are you looking for a place to serve? It's wide open. From the cradle roll on up, there's something for you to do. Now, if you're teaching a class, that means when Sunday morning comes, where are you? You are in your class. If you're not in your class, you have somebody who is substituting for you. We, we have jobs that we perform. If we do not fulfill our jobs in, in the physical realm, what happens? Well, we, we face consequences, don't we? Well, I understand that this is a volunteer basis type operation. But we need people to work, to work together. And there are a lot of you that have the talent of teaching. What you need to do is use that talent. Personal evangelism. Serve as focus group leader. I do not know who the focus group leaders are, per se. I may know one, but listen. Eric is handing these things out every week. I don't know who the team leaders are, but Eric is doing the job weekly. Somebody's not doing the job. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody's not getting the job done. I don't know who you are. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to belittle you, but I'm saying, look, if you have a responsibility, if you have been given a task, then do it. That's what the Lord would say. Do it. Eric's happy to do it. I appreciate Eric. I appreciate all of his hard work, but I know it has to be exasperating for him at times. The, the other day, he said, I'm handing out Three different team leaders' cards. Somebody's not doing their job. If you're not doing your job, man up and do your job. That's all, that's all we're asking. Just do your job. We talk about being a part of a focus group. We're, we're not talking about moving mountains here. All we're talking about is sending a card, making a phone, making a visit, Picking up the telephone, calling somebody, it's not, it's not life-altering. It's not that hard to do. Now, again, you ask the question, why, why would I be talking to those of us who are core members? Because we know people who are not doing the work. What we've got to do is coach these people up. We've got to raise the bar. We've got, we've got to get some people, stick with them like glue, and get them to where they need to be. We talk about visiting faithful members, unfaithful members, prospective members, visiting sick and shut-in members, 
organizing Bible studies, all of these are things that can be done, should be done, and ought to be done. And again, we talk about the growth of the church. You want to see, you want to see the church here at Olive Branch grow and abound and be what God would have it to be, teach people the Bible. There is nothing, there is nothing that should prevent us as individual members from talking to others about Jesus. All of us know people, friends, family members, co-workers, people at school, whatever the case may be, talk to somebody about Jesus. Get them to come to worship with you. Get them to come to Bible study. Set up a Bible study with them. If you don't feel competent to teach the person you're trying to teach, then ask somebody who is. I promise you somebody will step in and do the job. And then the realm of benevolence. We talk about distributing items for the needy, helping in case of sickness, death, coordinating food for sick, for sick members and when deaths occur, preparing food, etc. Look, there are so many things to do. I'm just reading some of these because the work of the church, in order for it to be what God would have it to be, has to have everybody working together. It can't just be the elders. It can't just be, it, it can't just be the deacons. It can't just be a focus group leader. It has to be all of us. All of us have that responsibility. What I'm, what I'm trying to encourage you to do is look around you. Note, if you would, the people that aren't here. If they're not here tonight, you can just about bank on it. They're not, they're not involved. What we've got to do is get them to worship and then get them involved. If we get them in worship and get them involved, guess what's going to happen? The church here is going to grow because we're going to be doing what we ought to be doing. What we're interested in doing is sharing the, sharing the gospel with the lost and dying community and, and glorifying Almighty God. Can we do that? Absolutely. How are we going to do it? We're going to have to learn to be servants. All of us have to learn to be servants. We're not looking for a position. We're not looking to climb the corporate ladder in the church. We're simply trying to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hope and pray that by our study together, it has been helpful to you. The only way that I know to, to get us to be what we ought to be is to just be factual. Just lay the cards on the table. And I see so much that can be done and should be done right here. It's up to all of us. And, and it really begins with me taking personal responsibility. We talk about responsibility and accountability. We have responsibility, now let's be accountable. Let's realize that we are accountable for our actions. Could I encourage you, develop the heart of a servant if you're, not, if you're not what you ought to be. Could I plead with you tonight, if you know people that aren't what they ought to be, identify one person, stick to them, try to be a, try to be a catalyst in their life, try to get them here. Give them a call on Friday night, Saturday, whatever the case may be, get them here. Let's get them here and let's get them working. Let's get them involved in the work of the church. Let's have a prayer before we conclude. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day, for the many blessings of this life. We're thankful for your love and care for us. We're grateful, Father, for the opportunity to serve in the kingdom and we realize that the opportunities are great. 
We ask that you would use us to your glory and praise. We pray that we might be the kind of servants with whom you would be pleased. Forgive us when we fall short. Forgive us when we're not what we ought to be. We ask that you would help us to become more like Christ in our daily lives. Bless us and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe you're here today, tonight, and you're not a member of the body of Christ. Could we encourage you to come to Christ? Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus can provide you with an abundant life, a great life. What would you need to do to come to Christ? Well, you need to believe that he is the son of God, John 8, 20, 24. You need to repent of your sins, Acts, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be baptized into Christ so that every sin could be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then be faithful until death. And the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, at verse 10. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, you're not what you ought to be, why not let us pray with you and for you? The promise is God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Come as we stand and sing.